Hello, you are listening to a very special mini-series of the Sustainable-ish podcast with me, Jen Gale, counting down to and celebrating the launch of the Sustainable-ish Living Guide, my book that is everything you need to know to make small changes that make a big difference. Join me for 12 days, diving into a chapter each day and chatting to someone marvellous, doing good stuff relevant to the topic of that chapter to infuse and inspire you to take action and obviously to get your mitts on a copy of my book. (laughs) One of my favourite comments I've had so far from someone who was sent an advanced copy is that it's the most eco common sense thing I've read, which I absolutely love because I feel like we all need a bit of eco common sense as we enter a new year and a new decade where we'll all need to be making changes. So we need to figure out how to make those changes work for us. The book is published by Bloomsbury and it is out on January the 9th. So if you're listening before that, you can pre-order it from all the usual places online Or if you're listening after that point, you can, of course, order it online or it should be available in all good bookshops. Or obviously, the sustainable-ish option would be to ask your library to order it in for you. Today, we're on to day three, chapter three, which is plastic-free-ish. Now, I've been internet stalking in a non-creepy way, (laughs) my guest today for the last couple of years and have been wanting to have her on the podcast for as long as it's existed. So to get the chance to chat with her for this book launch mini-series feels very special indeed. Cal Major is an ocean advocate, veterinary surgeon and world record stand-up paddleboarder who has done huge amounts to raise awareness around plastic pollution with her paddleboarding adventures around the UK and is a total inspiration. You'll have to forgive me a little with this episode. I had every intention of keeping all the episodes for this mini-series to around 20 minutes, but I knew right from the start that this was going to be a challenge when chatting to Cal as she has so much good stuff to share. So grab a cuppa or pop this one on if you've got a car journey ahead of you and settle in to enjoy some inspiration and the tale of one incredible woman's paddle against plastic. Enjoy. Hello, Cal. Welcome to this special mini-series of the Sustainable-ish podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me to talk to you today. Oh, really, really, I say this for every guest, but I'm genuinely really <laughs> excited to talk to you. And we were just saying beforehand, I've been stalking in the nicest possible way you for <laughs> for quite some time. And we've got quite a lot of shared background, haven't we? Because we're both veterinary surgeons by profession. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, introduce yourself. Tell us what you do now alongside being a vet. Yeah, so I'm not in clinical practice at the moment as a vet, um, but I still very much consider myself a vet. Um, I do some some roles as a veterinary surgeon, um, but not in small animal clinical practice, which is what I've been in for the last sort of few years. Mm. And I think it's a really interesting time for uh, to be a vet in this current crisis, this current ecological crisis, because we have such a massive role to play and we have so much ability to affect change as vets, as doctors, as um, as lots of different professions, but particularly as vets caring for animals. I think there's a, there's a real role that we can play in, in protecting the animals um, in the wild, in protecting yeah. ecosystems. So I feel really excited about that. Um, I am a stand-up paddleboarder, a surfer, kite surfer, 
just massively in love with the ocean and I spend as much time there as I can and um, do whatever I can to protect it. So um, my campaigns um, historically have been around plastic pollution, so my, my Paddle Against Plastic campaign, and um, I'm now sort of focusing on um, the connection to nature side of things, so how that that's the first step that we need to take in order to encourage people to want to protect the natural world, um, natural ecosystems, and, um, yeah, reflect positive change. So have you always lived by the ocean have you always been an ocean focused person no i grew up in warrington which is <laughs> directly between manchester and liverpool landlocked. Uh, <laughs> landlocked. <laughs> i think our nearest sea was about an hour away um but my mum and dad were always really keen to get us outdoors when we were kids so we did a lot of outdoorsy stuff yeah. went to the beaches at um in, you know in holiday times we were always down in wales um in the holidays and then when I was 18, just before I went to uni, I went over to Australia. I had a gap year in Australia and I learned to scuba dive. And that's when I fell in love with the ocean. And after that first moment underwater, breathing um, underwater and seeing all the amazing multicolored corals and yeah. turtles and fish, which were bigger than me, that was the moment when I fell in love with the ocean. And I knew from then on that... Um, that I wanted to do everything in my power to protect it, and I went to uni after I'd been to um, after I'd been to Australia. I went to vet school in Edinburgh, and spent every weekend surfing and, and by the sea when I could. Absolutely loved being by the sea, um, but my studies I found my studies a little bit challenging because we were you know we were learning about cats and dogs and horses and cows and sheep and pigs and all the reasons I'd gone to uni in the first place to look after domestic species and yet in my heart of hearts I knew that I wanted to look after the animals in the ocean mm. um so yeah it was a bit it was a bit of a challenge going through vet school because I was, I was sort of torn in two directions you know this this one big part of my heart which knew that I, I desperately wanted to look after the animals in the ocean and the sort of bulk of our studies being so far removed mm. from um, yeah no I don't think we did any like marine animals or anything no, <laughs> no we didn't do any we didn't we didn't do any marine animals in at Union at Edinburgh we did you know the odd lecture about aquaculture and, yeah. and, and the sort of farming side of things but there was nothing around I think it's such a niche part of the industry yeah. if you kind of want to know about that you have to teach yourself so yes. that's what I did I just read and read and learned everything I could and went to seminars and um, joined clubs so educated myself as much as I could and then went into domestic animal practice when I graduated so how long were you in practice for um ooh, about five years yeah. five, or six, five or six years in I started off in, in mixed animal practice and mostly farm animals in rural Wales yeah so I moved yeah. down to Wales and that was right by the sea and I loved that because I could sort of work during the week and weekends and nights and all the crazy hours that that threw yeah. at me but then whenever I had time off, I'd be straight to the beach. Um, so I did that for a year and then I sort of defaulted into small animal really um, and moved down to, to Plymouth in Devon again to be by the sea. Yeah. And that's where I sort of took um, started surfing regularly again and I took up stand-up paddleboarding then. That's when I learned to stand-up paddleboard. And um, oh, just my love affair with the ocean just grew and grew and grew and I spent every second I could just out exploring the sea on my paddleboard or surfing or yeah just swimming in the sea just absolutely loved it so a lot for a lot of people that 
story would have stopped there they would have you know done the nine to five well it's never a nine to five in veterinary practice but you know you would have sort of done your your regular job and then spent your weekends and your spare time um in the ocean and doing things like that where did that sort of um where did where did that extra step come from you know what made you think you know what this isn't enough for me anymore yeah so the first, I'd say the first six months in practice in Plymouth, that's what I did. Basically, I, I spent, you know, my, my days working, weekends, whatever shifts I was working. Whenever I wasn't working, I would be at the ocean, just having so much fun, just loving it with my mates or on my own. Um, and I think the thing that, um, I think the thing that changed that was, when I started seeing plastic on the beaches. Mm. So after every time I came in from a surf, I was finding beaches that were just piled high with plastic. And um, it was actually up in Scotland that I first really noticed it because um, I was on this tiny little island called Tyree and I was there with a friend and we were um, we were windsurfing and, and surfing up there. And one of the beaches there was so affected by plastic that I couldn't walk al- along the beach without oh. literally going plastic this is a tiny tiny teeny island on the west coast of scotland with very few inhabitants and so that really opened my eyes to the fact that this was an issue yeah and then after that every time i when i went back home to, to devon whenever i go surfing um or come in from the water and see the plastic i, I started to notice it more and I, I couldn't ignore it i think um, that's really interesting isn't it because i was going to ask you do you think it was the fact that there was suddenly more plastic or so- something started making yeah. you notice it and it's one of those things isn't it lots of people will find that once you start thinking about plastic or plastic pollution or even noticing the litter at home once something's clicked in your head you can't unsee it and you think what did I do before did I just used to walk yeah. past it I don't know definitely and that was exactly how it was for me so uh, now that I'd started noticing it yeah. I couldn't notice it and I was finding things on the beaches which I just found it so ludicrous. I was finding so many plastic bottles. Mm. A lot of them were water bottles. And I was thinking, this is so ridiculous. We have the alternative right there in front of yeah. our eyes, which is a reusable bottle and a tap. I thought, this is so daft. And I felt so um, enraged by how simple it was for this not to be the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I started volunteering with Surfers Against Sewage, and I was running beach cleans in my local community. And it was brilliant being able to clean the beaches and actually see the kind of before yes. and after. and also to help other people help open other people's eyes to it so Mm. you know I'd had that moment of realization that this was an issue but to help other people have that as well was was really it was wonderful and it felt I think for for the people attending the beach cleans it was very empowering to know that there was something they could do but also to start connecting the dots between what they're finding on the beaches and what they're using in their lives and I think Um, that's that's why I think plastic is so really kind of captured people's imaginations yeah. more than the climate crisis because it is that cause and effect is really visible isn't yeah. it and I think when you do something like a beach clean like you say it's really easy to see the the impact of that and yeah. also it um it's a very visible thing and other people see you doing it and that almost gives them permission to to then yeah. do it and to join in and to do things Definitely. And people are sometimes a bit scathing around beach cleans and the plastic pollution crisis because they sort of say, well, you know, picking it up is not the answer. Mm. No, it's not the answer. But for so many people, it's a first step. And like you say, it can be the first step in their journey um, in acknowledging plastic, but Mm. it can also be an incredibly empowering thing for someone to know that there's something that they can do around an issue that they can touch and feel and pick up off the beach. Um, which can lead to further change around things like the climate crisis and the ecological crisis, which are a little bit less tangible and a little yeah. bit more to stomach. Um, 
So I think it's an absolutely brilliant campaign to get people involved in and help people feel like they can do something good for an environment that they care about. It's like a gateway drug, I think. Plastic. It's a great, it's, <laughs> that's exactly how I think of it. I didn't think it was appropriate for me to say that, but yeah, it's definitely a gateway drug, yeah. Or should we refer to it as a gateway campaign? Whatever right, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a gateway, cool. yeah. It's brilliant. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, plastic being on the beaches isn't brilliant, but the fact that we can do something about it re- yes. really, really is. Um, and I think that's why it's taken off so much and why communities are coming together and people are really starting to take notice of this because regardless of who you are and what you do, there's something that you can do around plastic yes. and something that every single person can do around plastic. And it does bring people together. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a it's a really important um, campaign that we so we continue with regardless of you know the fact that um climate change is now getting loads of loads of um airtime you know all of these issues are, are so interlinked and so related oh, it's all under the same umbrella isn't it it's oh yeah. definitely yeah yeah, yeah. so, so yeah. fast forward a little bit yeah. of time and suddenly you're stand-up paddleboarding around the coast of the uk yeah, so let's just rewind a minute. So I, I was doing these beach cleans, finding loads of plastic bottles and was enraged by it and really wanted to ask people to think about using a reusable bottle yeah. instead of a plastic one. So I first of all decided to paddle around the Cornish coast. So it was 300 miles around the whole of the Cornish coast and I was going to be picking up bottles and asking people to, um, in exchange for my challenge, I was challenging people to use a reusable bottle Brilliant. instead. Um, and um, that suddenly doesn't seem so hard, does it? Uh, you can either either to paddleboard three hundred miles, or you can just use a reusable bottle. Which one do you want to do? Exactly. <laughs> if I can do this, yeah, then you can surely do that. Um, but I went into it quite na- naively because my paddleboarding experience up until that point had been on you know sunny days yeah. out in the bay, having a laugh with my mates. Um, and now all of a sudden, I was attempting to paddle twenty miles a day through um, what I hadn't expected in Cornwall in the summer, which was uh, fog and head high waves <gasps> and gale force headwinds. And um, yeah, I was I went into it so naively, expecting it to be really, really lovely and calm. Yeah and fun and I thought I was going to get a tan and sit back and the reality was it was absolutely crazy like bonkers weather um I didn't really know how to read a wind and tide forecast so I was kind of just winging it every day and really learned a very deep respect for, for the power of mother nature and the oceans um <laughs> So 20 miles a day, to put that in context, because I have no idea how fast you go when you're yeah. paddleboarding, is that kind of a bit like doing a marathon a day? Is you know How long would that take you, 20 miles, depending on the sea condition? It takes six, six to eight hours. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, so um, a, fair old, a fair old amount of time. And it was, yeah, it was, it was basically paddle, sleep, eat, paddle, sleep, eat for three weeks. Oh um, it was complete it was so full-on but I I loved it and the thing I loved most was um just being out on the ocean all day every day and being sort of immersed in that environment and feeling like I was starting to understand the wind and the tides and starting to really pick up on the signs that the ocean was sending me and and what that meant to being on a paddleboard and um you know in terms of like the waves coming Mm, and what that yeah 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 yeah. those kind of signals and also wild camping like I'd never wild camped before so you wild Uh, camped in between yeah so did you do this on your own or did you have a little someone else driving along no this was a friend had a friend on a board with me on the water and we just we wild camped um you carried your tent and your food and 
Yeah, carried everything with us. Um, and Cornwall's quite, you know, it's, there's loads of places to stop and stock up on food mm. and water and that kind of thing. So it wasn't hugely remote. Um, but it was amazing. Like, I'd never made a fire before. Yeah. Never never caught my dinner before. You know, it was just brilliant. And I had a real adventure, even though it was, the you know, the hardest thing I'd ever done. Um, it was Did you such cry? A- did I cry? Yeah. Yeah, most days, yeah. Good. <laughs> <There was one laughs> Otherwise, you're this kind of wonder woman, though. <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was one day that I nearly got um, smashed into a, a very sheer cliff by six-foot waves, and I don't know how I made it away from it. I basically, had to paddle the hardest I've ever paddled in my life, and for about ten minutes, I thought I was going to end up on this cliff. And oh um, came into, into shore that night and was so exhausted. I couldn't do anything but cry for about 12 hours. Oh, God. It, I was just an absolute wreck. Um, so, yeah, there, there were massive downs, but also massive ups. And you always look, look at these things with the rose-tinted spectacles, yeah. don't you? But I just loved it, and I loved the way that doing that adventure kind of gave me a vehicle to talk to people about what I cared about, which was looking after the ocean. Mm. And, you know, I was documenting what I was finding, so all the plastic on the beaches and talking to people along the way, but also sharing things on social media and, um, you know, the national, uh, the uh, local press got involved mm. and it was brilliant. And I, I absolutely relished the opportunity to use that to talk to people about what, what I cared about and to yeah. kind of, yeah, connect the two. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah. So then when you, when you finished that, were you like, what's next? Or were you like, never again? Right. So after that, <laughs> one, <laughs> so after that one, I couldn't wait to get back on the I road. really? Yeah, so the next expedition I did the following year was around the Isle of Skye in Scotland. Oh, gorgeous. And that was completely alone. So I had nobody on the island, no phone signal, no radio signal. Um, I basically had to take all my food with me and, and just find water wherever I can. So I was camping in places where you just couldn't get there by land. Um, and for most of that one, I was telling myself, when you get to the end of this, you never have to see a paddleboard again. <laughs> And that's one that I really look back on with roads into spectacles because at the time it was so challenging. I was alone. I was exhausted. I was, you know, wild camping every night. It was raining the yeah. whole time. Like it was, it was so hard. But then looking back on it, I learned so much about myself and I, and I learned so, learned so much about how much strength I actually had. Yeah. What I thought I had and, you know, the, the resilience to do things on my own and, and the decision making abilities and just just being alone around the island for, for 12 days was, was really empowering. Just being and alone also, for 12 days would be quite yeah. a challenge for a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, there were days when I loved it, the days when, you know, because I was never really alone. There was, there was always like an eagle in the air wow. or a dolphin coming past or a seal following me. You know, there was always some form of life around. Um, but, oh, it was, it, I think doing something like that that's so far removed from your everyday life just kind of really puts a lot of things into perspective. Yes. Um, and on this tiny island, which I was... You know, it's it's not very well inhabited. It's really remote. I was finding beaches again, like on Tyreed, beaches just absolutely covered in plastic mm. and animals affected by it and um, really heartbreaking sights that people on the island weren't seeing because these were beaches that you could only really get to right. by water. Um, so it was very eye-opening for me. Eye-opening in a lot of ways. Eye-opening in me understanding my own strength and my own you know resilience but also opening in how much plastic there actually was there on, on those beaches yeah so you got back from that one saying you never have to go on a paddleboard again yeah and about a week later I was like, <laughs> <"Right>, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
like childbirth, you know, you, you quite easily forget this is what I'm told anyway. You know, you forget what all the pain and the distress. And then like, oh, I'll have another one. <laughs> that was the same for this. So I got back and for the first week, so never again. Um, and then once I'd had a good sleep and a good meal, um, I was ready to uh, ready to crack on again. So I started in earnest planning um the trip I did last year, which was to stand up paddleboard the whole length of the UK, and that was basically to look at all the positive things happening in the UK to, to tackle plastic pollution from individuals, communities, organisations, in the hope of using those positive stories mm. to inspire the change. Because I think with environmentalism, a lot of the time we can it can be very easy to put a lot of doom and gloom and negativity yeah. around the subject, but actually to remain positive and to, to sort of keep it solution based mm. is much more empowering than to just kind of present people with the issue and say right, and that's something I wanted to ask you is that you know certainly I found once you start you know you open this can of worms that you've been kind of somehow ignoring and then suddenly it you know you're like shit and it is really overwhelming and so how how do you combat that anxiety and that overwhelm yeah it's a really good point actually and it's something that I do feel occasionally yeah. or have felt particularly in the past I don't feel it so much anymore I think because I'm taking so many actions now I think the best way to combat that overwhelm that anxiety is is to do something Mm. and I think again that's the beauty of things like the the plastic pollution crisis is that um we don't not any single one of us has the ability to do everything but every single one of us has the ability to do something you know and just taking one step can feel very empowering and I think that can often lead to, to further things. I think it's very easy as well to feel to feel really guilty about um, you know not doing everything. So yeah. um, you know feel guilty about the plastic that we do use in our lives. But actually, I think what we really need to focus on is is feeling very positive about the stuff that we can avoid and and how we use our voice to make it easier for us to avoid plastic. And by that, I mean I don't think that the responsibility um, should solely fall on the consumer. I don't think it's fair for it to be suggested that it's the consumer's responsibility to solve the plastic pollution yeah. crisis by shopping at zero waste shops yeah. or by you know making decisions which mean that they're spending more on the groceries or anything like that. I think it's really great to do that where we can and to feel really excited and proud of that where we can. But actually as consumers, we have a voice that we need to be utilising to to, um, to make it known to the, the government and the businesses that that we will not stand for this yeah. anymore. Something that we really, really want tackled at a higher level. Where so how, how do we do that as individuals and as consumers? Because it's, you know, it's one thing going on a beach clean or doing a litter pick when you go out for a walk. And it's sometimes it can feel quite intimidating to... To, to kind of pop your head above the parapet and to, to, like you said, to make your voice heard. What are some really easy things that people can do to kind of, I guess, start them off on that? Because I never think of myself as an activist, but actually I think we all are activists in the choices we make every day or we have the potential yeah. to be. So have you got any kind of really easy, quick wins for people in terms of that sort of making your voice heard? Oh, I, I definitely think we're all activists in terms of the choices we make. I really like that. That's really <laughs> So we have the ability to first of all vote with our wallet. So mm-hmm. if we know that there are businesses that are doing the right thing or working towards doing the right thing, then I think we should be supporting them if we can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, it is important to um, to buy things that are not wrapped in plastic where we can because that is also voting with our wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you just look at how many how much has changed since the awareness around plastic pollution has increased yeah. that will show you what consumer pressure can do to businesses so we look at things like waitrose who have stopped using stopped giving out single-use coffee cups mm-hmm. that campaign was um initiated by one woman who basically went into waitrose and was like this isn't okay spoke to the head office got a petition going and then now they're giving out you know millions of yeah. fewer coffee cups every year um, I love it when you get stories like that that's just like one person decided one person. to do something and that yeah. that kind of that's snowball good. effect and that it's just phenomenal. Exactly. So I, I do quite a lot of um, stuff with the Mid-Counties Cooperative, which is one of the biggest cooperatives in the UK. And um, we've got a, a campaign called the One Change Campaign, which is basically reducing plastic in the stores, but also empowering people to reduce plastic in their lives. And I think... Oh supporting businesses like that who, mm. who really care about this issue and are putting lots of time and effort into actually doing what they can, acknowledging that change doesn't happen overnight, yeah. but that we need to continue that pressure so that change does happen. And that comes through, I think that comes through awareness, that comes through community voices, that comes through um, talking about it with people, you know, making your voice heard, social, you know, social media, sharing things on social media, just making it, uh, making it, um, known that it is an issue to you so so, so talking about it talking about with your friends in terms of the government it's so important that all of us vote and for example i had a um a letter from one of the parties i won't go too political here don't worry (laughs) i had a letter through my door from one of the parties recently and the word environment wasn't even on the letter it wasn't on the manifesto and so there's no way in hell i'm gonna ever vote for that party you know for me the environment is the first and foremost important thing because yeah. without a healthy environment we do not have a healthy planet to live on we don't have healthy people we don't have healthy yeah. animals um so i'm going to vote for a party that prioritizes that and i think that's another really important thing that we need to do and um, but certainly as consumers we do have massive influence on these these companies they're the ones that are benefiting from um from our money mm-hmm. so we need to make sure that um that they're not profiting from doing the wrong thing from actually damaging the environment yeah. so not necessarily you know we're not necessarily boycotting certain companies but we are supporting ones that are um that are doing the right thing and you know if you've got an issue with how how a company works then send them an email write to them tweet to them um you know if you find out that your bank is um investing in um in things that you don't believe in then leave your bank but don't just leave them send them a message and say this is why i'm leaving i'm leaving because um, I, I really want you to be investing in something that's green or, mm. you know, if, if you're going to your, your local shop and they're doing the, um, you know, selling everything in plastic, then, you know, ask to speak to the manager and say, you know, I really don't appreciate this happening or write them a letter if you don't feel able yeah. to talk to them. Um, and also, I think it's really important to acknowledge the power of um, communities coming together. So as individuals, it can be really, really hard to, to make our voices heard or to, to feel, like you say, to stick your head above the parapet yeah. and actually make those um have those conversations one thing which has been really really important i think in the uk's um tackle against plastic uh, fight against plastic pollution has been the surfers against sewage um plastic free coastlines Mm. campaign which has basically been creating uh, communities all around the country who are acting in their local community you know really awesome grassroots activism at its finest basically a couple of people at a time going into a local business and saying, look, we really care about plastic in our community. Please, can we help you use less plastic in your business? And that has had enormous impact, not just on the local businesses, but also on the the sort of bigger businesses nationwide who are starting to acknowledge that this is what consumers care about. Yeah. 
And I think it, a lot of it comes back to when we were talking about the beach cleans and stuff. By us taking that that first step, I think once you take that first step, the next one becomes easier and you realise, you know, nobody died and you you know, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing bad happened and you're still okay and then you can take the next step. But by you doing that, it you don't know, that empowers however many other people to go actually she's completely right that is this isn't on and this isn't shouldn't be happening and yeah you know, maybe I'll send a tweet or maybe I'll you know send an email or maybe we'll do a litter pick and and it's just it is those you know that analogy of dropping a pebble into a pond and these ripples that often you don't yeah. see and you don't know but I think any action you can take and and be visible and vocal about will be amplified yeah. so many times um, I completely agree with that. And your actions will give other people confidence to, yeah. to do the same thing as well. I, I completely agree with that. And we kind of saw that with the Blue Planet effect. So, you know, there have been quite a few people campaigning around plastic pollution for several years. Yeah. You know, I, I was one of them. And I remember I was working at a vet at the time and I'd been sort of talking to the nurses and, and the other staff about plastic, you know, sort of as, as gently as I could yeah while also really trying to push what I was... You don't want to be that person, do you? Who, like, everyone's like, oh, God, she's coming again. Quick, hide. (laughs) I was a locum as well, so I didn't want to be that really weird locum that was just banging on about plastic all the time. But then the the morning after that Blue Planet episode aired where David Attenborough was talking to us about plastic in the ocean and all the animals that are affected by it, very next morning, I had two nurses come up to me within half an hour of me being in the building saying, plastic is awful, what can we do? Right, we need to... I was like, yes, this is <laughs> finally... And it's finally, people care. And it's almost like David Attenborough um, made it okay for us to yes. stand up and say, actually, this is something we all care about yeah. and sort of gave people a voice. And so, you know, there are celebrities like David who, who, can, who can do that on a wide scale, but there are also normal people like us who can um, do that with our friends and with our families and with our communities. Um, and, you know, I've seen a massive change in a lot of my friends and family since I've started talking about plastic openly. Um, and you've no idea how many people they will have reached. And yes. the next few, it's like that ripple effect, isn't it? So, um, and, and those, the more people who are aware of this, the more consumers have a voice, the, the, the sooner we're going to reach mm. a tipping point whereby it's no longer okay for business to profit from um, destroying our planet through yeah. plastic. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Right then, so this world record paddleboard, so down yeah. the, so it's, it was it around the circumference or down the length of the UK? Length of the UK, so it was Land's End in Cornwall. So that's your next challenge, all right, just to go around the edge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's is. <laughs> it's actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to join up the dots. I'm not going to do Land's End, John O'Groats again. Okay, okay. done that. Um, but I'll just join up the dots, yeah. yeah. Wow. So how long did that take? It took two months, 59 days. 59 days. And how many miles did you do average a day? Um, It was very variable on weather. So my shortest day was half a mile, <gasps> um, after which I was going backwards. So I stopped. Um, and my longest day was... Uh, I think it was 64 miles. Oh, my God. So, but that, you know, that was like a 24-hour shift. It basically didn't stop the whole time. Um, and it was very dependent on the tide windows that I had, the weather windows. We had a really amazing summer in 2018. So, mm. 
I was really pushing to make sure that I made the most of the good weather. So on a stand-up paddleboard, um, you've only got a tiny fin in the water, so you're really, really vulnerable to any wind at all. Oh, really? But any wind that's either coming from the side or from in front of you makes paddling hell on earth. If you've got no wind or the wind's behind you, it's the most enjoyable thing ever. But if you've got wind coming from the side, so there'd be, there'd be days when I'd have a side wind and I'd only be able to paddle on one side of the board the whole day. And it was honestly hell on earth. Other days when you'd have a, a headwind and... You just weren't getting anywhere yeah. because the wind was just pushing you backwards. So, so is this so you on your own again? Yes, yeah. Sometimes. Wild camping? Um, a mixture this time. So um, we were making a film about the expedition. So my, my boyfriend is a filmmaker and he um, supported me on land quite a lot. He also kayaked with me a few times oh, too yeah. um, to, get, to get footage and, and to, to keep me company, which was wonderful. Um so he'd be um, on the land sometimes with my camper van and we'd yeah. stay in the van sometimes. Um, other times I'd be wild camping on my own. And I always, always had like a, at least a sleeping bag and a bivy bag in a stove in my waterproof bag on my board, just in case I couldn't get yeah. to where I was meeting and had to pull out at a beach and camp overnight. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a mixture of um, wild camping on my own and, and staying in the van with James. And um, I was put up by people that I'd never met before oh. as well lovely um so yeah it was a real mixture but it was it was fab yeah and were you really? picking up plastic as you went yeah where I could yeah because I said it, to my husband I was interviewing you and he was like did she have a little tugboat behind her like mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm did you do with it I'm paddling without a tugboat <laughs> uh, uh, did you mean like pulling something on behind me yeah to put like plastic in like yeah no um no and it, that was quite heartbreaking actually because there were a few places I went to. There's one beach in particular in Scotland, which was so, so dirty, like so much plastic on it. Um, and I just couldn't do anything yeah. about it because first of all, it would have taken me three days to clean it all up. Yeah. But also there was no way I could take that plastic off the beach. Um, so what I did instead was I sort of highlighted the, the most affected places and then um, went back to a few places afterwards with groups of people to, oh, to try and remove that plastic in groups. So one of the worst affected places was... Um, in, in Wigan so um, my route took my route was a thousand miles 200 of which were inland through canals and rivers oh. um, to try and connect the dots between what's going on out at sea yeah, and what's yeah, happening yeah. land yeah. and one of the worst places in land was Wigan um, where one morning I counted nearly 700 plastic bottles in the first hour of paddling so after I'd finished like, if I'd have picked all those bottles yeah. up I would have never made it to John O'Groats yeah 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 so what I did afterwards was went back with a group of stand-up paddleboarders and we, we sort of had a, had a day where we, we cleaned up the, the canal oh, yeah. there and, um, you know, went back to that beach in Scotland to, to clean it up recently. Um, and I think, you know, it is, I think community beach cleans are really, really important for removing plastic and, you know, doing a bit every day to, to pick up plastic as you're walking the dog yeah. on the beach, whatever it is, it really does make a difference. Um but the sort of goal of this trip was more to highlight it and, and yeah. to sort of show what's going on and, and what's happening to tackle it rather than specifically to clean up the coastline because yeah. that just wasn't going to be possible with what I was doing uh, so physically. what were some of the most common, it sounds like bottles were possibly the most common plastic yeah. you found. I think bottles in canals simply because they float. So right, yeah. bottles and bags are really common in canals because they just sit on the top of the water and polystyrene trays. Oh, okay. Um, there was one day that I dropped my GoPro in the canal oh. and it was awful. So if I laid flat on the front of my, flat on my tummy yeah. on my board, I could reach my arm down. Oh my God, I'm like coming out in sweats thinking about it. <laughs> it was 
so minging. If I could reach my arm down just about to the bottom of the canal, can I scrape the bottom of the canal to try and find my, my GoPro? And there was some stuff on there. Oh, it was awful. And so you can just imagine like how much of that plastic actually floats it's it's down to the bottom. Yeah. And, and you can't see, like, you, I couldn't see my arm in the water, couldn't see what was going on, but I could feel stuff on the bottom of the canal. Um, and they do dredge the canals, I think, a lot to, to sort of get rid of, mm. get rid of all that. So in terms of inland, I've no idea what was actually in the canals that wasn't floating. Oh. On the beaches, there's a lot of fishing gear, unfortunately, yeah. in Scotland, um, which is a big problem. Um, but also a lot of things like cotton buds, which are flushed down the loo, yeah. um, so they end up in the sea and on the beaches, and um, bottles, plastic bags, um, other sanitary waste that's flushed on the toilet, a lot of that that, that, that finds its way onto the beaches. Yeah, tampon applicators are a really big one, aren't they? Yeah, tampon applicators. Um, on this particular beach in Scotland, it was really weird. It was it was almost like um, landfill waste. And we wonder if there's maybe a landfill somewhere that's being blown into the Atlantic and then because of the, the currents, they're being washed up onto the beaches in, in Scotland. Right, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so much random stuff you know it's not just that there's one there's one or two yeah. um items that you're always finding it's literally everything and if you think about all the things we use in our lives which are yeah. made of plastic yeah. and and then you think about what could come out of a landfill and into the ocean yeah. then you know it, that's why i think it's really important to really you know assess what we're using what we could live without and 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 um and think of it differently about what we're using upstream rather than just yeah. disposing yeah 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 and one of the questions I've been asked before and I'm sure you you've been asked it as well is so how does this plastic get into the ocean it's not like we're you know I don't live near anywhere near a beach and so how does my plastic bottle end up in the ocean or on the beach yeah Yeah, it's a really good point and I think that's a really nice way as well to connect people living inland to the fact that they can do something positive Mm. too um so there there are several different ways um we've all already discussed flushing things down the loo and that's a a really easy way for plastic to get into the ocean yeah you're often on paper isn't it three p's down the loo exactly and puke you can add that one (laughs) (laughs) after a big night out yeah exactly yeah um so landfill you can get um if you know if if it's particularly stormy you can get blow off from landfill um oftentimes that will then end up on the streets Mm -hmm. any litter that goes on the streets the path of least resistance when you get rain or wind is into the nearest waterway canals rivers which basically go straight out to the sea so um anything that we're using on land you know if we've got litter bins that are overflowing um if we're not disposing of things through the correct waste streams, you know, if, if things aren't being recycled and they're going to landfill, they're ending up in, in bins, mm. then that basically is plastic that is in the environment yeah. at large, which then has the um, the capacity to end up on the in on the streets, in yeah. the rivers, canals, and, and washed out to sea. So, plastic in the ocean is not from people having picnic on the picnics on the beaches, yes, yeah. or from people throwing things off off the ocean, eighty um, off the boats. Sorry, in the ocean. 80% of marine litter originates from land-based sources. Okay. So um, anything basically that, that we're using on land that isn't correctly disposed yeah. of um, has the ability to, to, to end up in the ocean. From and I think roots. that's really important to remember as well because you can think, well, I don't live near a beach, I can't do mm-hmm. a beach clean, but you can do a park clean or you can do oh, a oh. street clean or you can, you know, the kids actually really enjoy going out with the litter grabbers and, and yeah. you know, picking up litter when we go out for a dog walk and things like that. So it doesn't matter where you are, picking up the litter yeah. and putting it in the appropriate, you know, bin is uh, is definitely the way forwards. 
it's really powerful and and also canal cleanups are really useful as well because that's kind of already in the waterways right, then yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you, but 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 you can get it before it goes out into the ocean where it's basically impossible to, to pick up once it's out in the ocean mm. unless it's on the beach um and um i think british oh no the canals and rivers trust did a survey um 2019 i think it was which was basically showing that um canals which were cleaners who kept clean so people were picking up the litter there were much like less likely to be littered so you know, yes. if you've got a clean a clean environment people are less likely to throw litter there sort of positive feedback um, loop almost yeah yeah um almost sort of making it less acceptable yes. to do it so you know we can't we can't control everybody's behavior we can't suggest to everybody that they don't litter but if we can sort of keep places clean then maybe yeah. other people who maybe aren't as um informed about the the negative impacts of littering aren't as aren't as likely to do yeah. so but also they, they were saying i can't remember what the stat was but i think it's that if every person who um walked along the canal towpath picked up three pieces of litter that they'd be completely clean it was something wow. like that it was it was something incredible, a like really really amazing stat that they were trying to encourage people to um, to pick up litter as they went along the canal towpath. Uh, that might not be the right stat, but it was something really it feels amazing. believable. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so you know that kind of power that we have just in picking up a few bits yeah. of litter can be really powerful. And like you were saying before, you know, you pick up a bit of litter, someone else might see you doing that, yes, and, and they, yeah, good yeah. So you yeah. said you wanted to to do this particular paddleboard down the length of the country to highlight some of the positive campaigns that were the positive things that were happening yes going to be really mean and make you pick like two of your favorite so i know my favorite favorite okay go for it so my oh actually yeah i'm glad you said two because i have two favorites (laughs) (laughs) so um the first I want to talk about is um, a place called um, Port Patrick, which I washed into after a particularly difficult paddle in the night around probably the most, well, one of the most dangerous headlands in the UK that I'd had to go around um, at night because the wind and tides were, were, wow. were correct then. Um, and so I basically washed up into this beach in Port Patrick and I was absolutely exhausted and um sort of dumped my bags and my board at the, at the beach and hoofed it to the nearest pub where I fell asleep in a, a, a table in the corner. Um, and I woke up um, being introduced to the entire community who had sort of gathered around and asked me what on earth I was doing. And when I started telling them, they were all, it turns out, very, very passionate about plastic in the ocean too. And that's because they spent a lot of time on their beaches. They they all were really, really connected to their environment there. It was right on the coast. Mm. They were horrified when they went to the beach and saw plastic. So not only were they running beach cleans regularly, but they were doing everything they could in their community to reduce the amount of plastic that was used. So the catering vans were using compostable materials. The local B&B, there's a, a really nice um, chap called Simon who run a B&B called Number 4. Um, he basically wasn't using any plastic in any of the guest bedrooms. He had little jugs of milk and, oh, and yeah. reusable bottles of water for everybody. And um just doing little things everybody was doing little things but it was because they were seeing plastic on the beaches they wanted no part of that and they knew that that the option they had to do something different might um be you know at first um a bit less comfortable but it was the right thing to do and they and they knew that they had to do it and i was really struck by how powerful that connection to the environment was Mm. in driving to do the right thing um 
and you know we talk about people protecting what they love but people will only love what they know yes. and it felt really powerful to know that the the, the driving force behind these changes that the, that the community were making was all because they were connected to the environment they were there every day on the beaches they absolutely adored it and they would do what they could to protect it yeah I think that was the first, that was the most important lesson I learned. Um, I also went to a little island called Arran. So I paddled over there. Again, I paddled over from the mainland. So it was a 20-mile crossing from the mainland to the island. Um, and I got hit by a storm halfway across. So I arrived having battled, you know, waves that were as big as me oh. and, um, you know, black skies and thunderstorms. And it was absolutely terrifying. I'm 10 miles out to sea on my own crossing to this island and I, I sort of washed up again, washed up on the beach. And um, you make yourself sound like driftwood. <laughs> I know. It basically wasn't as far as no more use than driftwood. Um, I was shaking, like dripping in sweat and you know, soaked to the core with rain. Um, and um, a chap from the local uh, outdoor activity centre just walked up and was like, All right, what are you up to? <laughs> like, oh, I've just done this. All right, cool. And he took, he took me into the outdoor centre, like, let me use the showers, yeah. made me a couple tea warm me up um and James my, my boyfriend he came over on the ferry to meet me at Aaron um so that was good as well so there were two of us there yeah. and um the chat from the outdoor center basically started telling me about all the amazing stuff that was going on on Aaron to tackle plastic pollution and so within you know a couple of hours he'd introduced me to all the people on the island who were fighting plastic pollution yeah. and it turns out that there were so many different organizations NGOs individuals charities um also, um, uh, like sort of uh, um, more kind of council right, organisations yeah. as well. Um, and James and I basically spent a couple of days there just going around talking to people yeah. and figuring out what they were doing. And everybody in the community, all the different NGOs were working together. They all knew what the others did. There was one that was really trying to connect people to what was going on in the in the coastline there, mm-hmm. Aran Coast. They were, you know, sort of showing people how awesome this place was and then sort of directing them then to the next place who would tell them how they could protect it. And it was phenomenal. And again, that connection to the environment was really, really strong. And yeah. um, but also that sense of community that working together, they were able to create a, a network around the island um, to, to do the right thing and, and to reducing the use of plastic on Aaron, but also to make sure that there were cleanups and to make mm. sure that people were connected to the environment. And because it was quite small scale being on an island, yeah. it just was really obvious how they all fitted together. Yes. Um, so that was phenomenal, really but phenomenal. But I guess if it, you know, if it can happen on, on that scale in an island community, then a, a lot of that a lot of the actions that they're doing and the way they're coming together can be replicated in other communities, you know, without such sort of discrete boundaries. And yeah. and, and they are, and, and that is happening, you know. You're seeing it more and more. In, in North Devon, where I live now, um, we've got an amazing plastic-free North Devon community. And I've made friends through that that I would never have otherwise met. Mm. And, you know, some of my really closest friends. And um, it's amazing the people you meet and when you realise how this kind of campaign is infiltrated into so many different sections of um, the of the community of the county and um, you know just how lots of different people are, are doing their bit the, the thing that they can do to, yeah. to, to, to get together create this massive community of change and it's really inspiring to see how communities can come together and, and, and really kind of support each other Definitely. really really exciting and you said that you've made a film of your journey Yes. And you've been touring that, haven't you? Yes, so I've just finished touring with that, yeah. And not only did you tour it, but you decided to, to tour it by bike a lot of the time, is that right? Yeah. 
God. Yeah, I'd rather, um, I think I'd rather paddle the length of the country than cycle it again. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of, um, of road cycling. I get very scared on the roads with all the big lorries and stuff. Yeah. I went on country roads, it was absolutely fine. I loved it. But the, yeah, I'm, I'm not really into, um, I'm not really into cities, so having to cycle yeah. through cities was quite hard work. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, it was brilliant. So really, how, many, really brilliant. how many viewings did you do? So we did about 30 um, all the UK from Cornwall to Shetland, actually, our most northerly screenings wow. in Shetland. And I really wanted to tour with the film because um, I wanted to kind of be able to facilitate questions mm. and discussions afterwards. So the film, it documents my expedition um, from Land's End to John O'Groats, the paddleboarding expedition. And my kind of vision for the film was everything we've spoken about, about the expedition, which was looking at the um looking at the positive things happening around plastic etc mm. etc um but so James my partner who made the film he's he actually brought out a story that I wasn't expecting to see which um at first was very very hard to watch um so the expedition was in memory of um one of my best friends who who committed suicide um and so while I was out on the water I was I was healing and I was sort of using that time out in nature to heal. Um, but I was also very aware of the conversations I was having with people as I went along, um, how important nature was for their well-being and their mental health. And and so the, the, the film talks a lot about that need for connection to nature being the first and foremost thing we need to need to concentrate on. Mm-hmm. Um, before we start looking at, you know, the kind of um, – the the down the downstream effects of not being mm-hmm. you know um, the destruction of our planet before we start looking at that we need we need to, to take a step back and look at how we view nature how important it is to us how we can reconnect to it and how if maybe we can maybe if we can understand how important it is for our mental health we'll fall in love with it and mm. want to protect it as a result and also that kind of you know, that disconnect from nature being one of the driving forces behind a lot of mental yeah. loss at the moment. So, um, so it's a really, I don't know, it was, it was, it was a really interesting journey being able to tour with it and have those conversations afterwards. And what I learned was that, um, people are really craving that, um, craving that connection, craving that connection to community, to nature, um, to improving their mental health because so many people are struggling now with, with mental health and also to, to knowing what they can do to look after the planet, you know, if they do have that connection to it. Um, so it was, it was a real privilege to be able to, to tour with it and, and have, have some pretty, um, pretty in-depth discussions afterwards yeah. after the film screenings. So can we still, can people watch that now if they want to? Can, is it- it's not online at the moment. Um, so there are a few independent screenings being shown. Um, if you keep an eye on my social media or on my website, which yeah. is uh, almajor.com, um, there's some there's information about the independent screenings. We're hoping to have it up online um, fairly soon. Fabulous. I'm also starting a setting up a charity called the Vitamin C Project, which is uh, Vitamin S E A, which is the name of the film, um, which is basically um, it's been informed by those conversations that we had on the road about the need to reconnect to nature in order to drive a desire to protect it. And that kind of understanding of how important nature is to our mental health and well-being being what will help form people's love for for the ocean and help people protect it. Wow. I said at the beginning, I said, we're going to, we're going to, this is going to be about 20 minutes, this chat. And I said, there's no chance we'll stick to it. We've gone (laughs) completely over. But um, have you got like, 
I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about, you know, the power of communities. We've talked about the the power we have as consumers and our voice and um, and that connection to nature as well is just coming across really strongly. Have you got like three top tips for people um, if they're looking around and thinking, you know, I, for me, it feels like 2019 has been the year of people waking up to this crisis yeah. and that, you know, my real hope is that 2020 is going to be the year that that transfers into, into action for, you know, thousands, millions of us. So what yeah. kind of three top tips have you got for people think, looking around thinking, oh, crap, I need to do something. What, yeah. what can I do? Yeah. I think, first of all, don't underestimate the power of your voice. Like, let's have, just have a little look at what has been achieved in 2019 by mm. people standing speaking and that's not necessarily going out with an XR um you know um you know go and getting yourself arrested with rebellion that can be making your voice heard in other ways and I think more and more that pressure from consumers it's changing government's manifestos it's changing these policies it's so important and we need to make sure that we keep using our voices and making our voices heard in whatever way we can whether that's writing letters whether that's forming strong communities, um, talking about it on social media, whatever it is, we, we cannot let this conversation slide. We have to keep using our voices. Yeah, and I think nothing uh, is too small, is it? You know, like, no. oh, well, all I can do is send a tweet. We'll send a tweet. You know, all I can do is yes. talk to my neighbour. We'll talk to your neighbour. Yes. It's, it's just anything you can do. Don't ever think anything's too small. Definitely. Um, the second one I'd say would be um, to not feel guilty about what you can't do, but feel really yeah. positive it can do and that definitely relates to um to using less single-use plastic I think like we it's really easy to feel very overwhelmed at the idea of living zero waste and I don't think we need to be all living zero waste I think we all need to be using less Mm. um, but not feeling the entire onus of this issue on on ourselves individuals um and acknowledging that we you know it even doing one or two positive things a day is going to have a big difference and might inspire other people to make those changes as well. And I think um, it's, you know, especially with when we talk about single-use packaging and people do their food shop and they get like, oh, God, there's all this plastic. And I think that's one of the hardest things to tackle is, you know, yeah. plastic in your food shop. But have a little, you know, okay, so take a step back and look at what you can do in your bathroom or switch yeah. your energy provider or do, there's lots of really quick, easy wins and don't kind of get focused and stuck on, like you said, the things that you can't do. Yeah. Have a look yeah. around and see what else you can do. That's a really good point. And certainly, you know, when I first started campaigning against single-use plastic, I felt very passionately that supermarkets should stop using plastic in all their food mm, items mm. and immediately. And actually the work that I've been doing with the co-op to, to try and make that um, a reality has made me realise just how hard it is to, to actually repackage all the food. And we definitely need to keep putting pressure on so that um, so that companies are creating new technologies and, and, and new ideas we you know we can't just say oh well food has to be packaged in plastic mm, you know that mm. alternatives to a lot of things but like you say like there's other things that we can be doing yeah. as well and also consuming less in general yeah. there's so much stuff in the shops oh my goodness in the shops this morning and i'm just thinking like how much yeah. waste yeah. is that so ridiculous consuming less in general i think is a really really important um a really easy way to um, minimise our plastic footprint, our carbon footprint, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the effect that we have um, generally. So we, and I number think, one was make your voice heard, wasn't it? Number two was um, look at the things you – don't focus on the things you can't do, look at the things yeah. you can do. Yeah. And number three? I think number three is I think we all need to look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. So the big picture is that we have a massive crisis in terms of disconnection from nature. Um, and – 
it's it's within all of our ability to reconnect ourselves to nature and mm. to help around us do that whether that's to the canal down the road or the you know the, the, the park or the mountains or the sea whatever it is we need to reconnect and I think also um it can be very easy to focus on the plastic pollution crisis or climate change and, and decarbonizing mm. but actually our planet is facing first and foremost an ecological crisis so the the most pressing issue that our planet faces is the loss of biodiversity the loss of functioning ecosystems mm. which will help to um or they help to create a resilient planet which is able to to cope more effectively with things like climate change mm. and so rather than just focusing on one issue we need to look at the whole picture and what we can do as communities as individuals as companies as governments yeah. to help protect our planet and i think the, the the first step is is helping everybody to appreciate how important it is to us not just in terms of you know the fact that our oceans produce our oxygen for example mm. but in terms of our connection to that natural world is so vital for our mental health and our well-being and helping as many people as we can to appreciate that importance of, of our planet i think is the first step in, in making sure that we're all dedicated to protecting it so how do we how do we do that in practical terms is Spend it as simple as just yeah getting yeah. out for a walk and yeah. yeah yeah spend more time there prioritize it um i think you know real quality time there not just kind of going for a walk but, but being on your phone yeah but also <laughs> Finding the part of nature that really speaks to you. So for me, it's very obviously the oceans. You know, I could go up a mountain and I'll enjoy it, but nowhere near as much as I enjoy going for a yeah. surf. Um, I think finding something that really, really makes your, um, I don't know, really tickles your pickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, y- you know, just a- appreciating how how that makes you feel, like taking a, a, a bit of quiet time there, appreciating how it makes you feel breathe it in yeah. you know do what you need to do you don't have to go all yogic about it just breathe it in be there enjoy it appreciate how it makes you feel and then think about what you would be willing to do to protect that place that makes you feel yeah. that great yeah that's really powerful mm-hmm. thank you so much we've ran it's massively so over time <laughs> <laughs> I kind of knew we would um, yeah but I think that's so useful and such a I think almost a different way of looking at plastic pollution and and you know we're so used to kind of hearing about the you know refuse and reduce and your water bottles and your coffee cups but actually thinking about it in these different ways and ways that we can all come together and do something about it is um is brilliant thank you so much thank you very much for having me on thank you so much for tuning in and for joining me in counting down to and celebrating the launch of the Sustainable-ish Living Guide, available online and in all good bookshops from January the 9th, 2020. Catch you next time.